Matthew 26. Now, before uh, we get into the study, I wanted to share with you, um, it was an interesting week, had the privilege to meet the Consul General of uh, China, Um, went to lunch with him, and uh, we we were sitting at the table, there was a number of people, I'd been invited as a guest of Rosemary Lakata and her sister Beatrice, and... um, he started, we started having a conversation together and he, he had done actually kind of a background check on me. He, he said, you're also a pastor of a church and a council member. I said, yes. I said, he said, I listened to some of the, your speeches. I said, sermons. He said, yes, speeches. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a, a very interesting conversation. He says, you know, when I was, uh, he was the ambassador to Fiji and the ambassador to Australia. And now he's the consul general here in Los Angeles, and he said, uh, when I was in Washington Station there, I went to the Billy Graham, uh, I think, museum or one of the things there, and he was inquiring about that, and, and the conversation I could see with the rest of the folks at the table was a little uncomfortable, so I kind of let it alone, and then I gave him a tour of um, the city hall, and during that tour, we had more of a personal conversation, and I'll leave that as a personal conversation. It was good. It was very good. And... Um, I, I think to myself how the Lord opens doors to have opportunities to speak with people um, and, and to inquire uh, where they are in relation to the Lord. And this is a man that has a lot of power. He has a lot of power. And he had a limousine, a driver, security. He had all that, a lot of power. And it's a nation that uh, right now is contending with our nation in regards to power. I say that word power over and over again because it seems as though that's something that the world longs for is power. And we're watching as we have trade wars, uh, trying to establish power. Um, we have ideologies in an attempt to try to establish power. Uh, and our ideologies were different. He was communicating. I said, how is it to have a president who is now elected for life in your country? He said, well, the president is also the for life as far as um, the, the party chairman, and there's, there's three p- positions executively in, in China, and he said two of those he already had for life, so we just gave him the third. And he said, and I, I understand that your council meetings last a long time. So he comes back at me, and I said, yes, they do. We had a six-hour meeting on the circumference of oak trees. <laughs> and he said, our, our authority is centralized, and, and uh, it's already decided, and it's usually just ratified by the rest of the committee after the executive decided what to do. And I said, that's very effective. I said, but ours is governed by we the people. Threw that out there. Um, and, 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 a, and every citizen has the opportunity, and, and I am a representative. I, I'm not in authority. I, I am uh, an employee of the people. I'm also their boss, but I'm an employee. And he was confused by that. And I said, well, you hire a doctor, you hire a financier, you hire um, all, uh, teachers, and, and you actually pay them to tell you what to do. Your doctor says, Rob, you need to lose weight. I find another doctor. <laughs> but the idea is I am, I am the employee of the citizens of Thousand Oaks, but in the same regard, I'm also the boss, and that the decisions I make affect everybody, as well as the other four council members. And this is servant leadership. And it's a very clear depiction of the way in which God works with his people. The covenants that you see in the Old Testament, starting with Adam and then going through to Noah and then coming to Abraham and then Moses and then David. And all of these covenants that you see that God gives, first the covenant to Adam, then the covenant to Noah in Genesis 9, 
establishing government on the earth and with Abraham and then Moses with the Ten Commandments and David. In every case, these covenants represent um, the Lord as a God who loves to serve his people. Unlike the pantheon of gods in the history of the world, all other gods look at man as servants to the Lord. We're, we're sweeping uh, the, the factory floor. We're in charge of keeping the machinery running for the boss. But in the picture of the covenantal God of, of creation, he created us. In all of creation, the first five days of creation, God said, God said, God said, and then it was later tov, it was good. But when it gets to man, he makes it personal. He says, let us. Elohim, uh, the, the, the picture of the Trinity in the Old Testament. He said, let us make man in our image. And then he gives, them, he gives man dominion, and he creates male and female. And he gives them dominion to tend to the garden. And he said, all of this is for you, all of it. Name it all. Have dominion over it. It's yours. And, and, and then he says to Abraham, bless, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I'm with you. He, he says to Noah this idea that now that sin has entered the world because you exited God's presence, now we're going to have a series of consequences. And if you honor me, those consequences will not apply to you. And, those, and, and he, he establishes governments on the earth. And then with Moses, with the Ten Commandments, he's, he's not taking authority over man. What he's saying is, this is like the North American Treaty Organization. Your enemy is my enemy and I will stand with you. And, and this is what will define us. We are people who tell the truth. We're people who are honest. We're people who don't covet. We're people who don't lie. And, and if we obey, then this will be a, a de- definitive picture and you'll be my people and I will be your God. And anyone who comes against you, I will be against them. I work for you. And then with David, where David said, I want to build a house for the Lord. And God says, I, I don't need a house built by human hands. He said to David, I'm going to build a house for you. And through the lineage of that, we have Christ, the embodiment of all the covenants that were given in the Old Testament. And a God that serves us so that um, a, a culture would be designed and a theology would be designed that would travel across the Atlantic to establish this picture of a servant leadership. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant of all, that I am your employee, but I'm also your boss. I want to bless you. I want to work for you. And this is what God does. He wants to work for us. And Jesus is spending all this time with the disciples, laying this out. He's teaching them. He's laying it out. He's a God that blesses, and and all he asks us to do is to wait upon him, to wait upon him, to wait upon him, trust him. And now he doesn't make sense, and and, and it is considered, as we studied um, on Wednesday, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. The foolishness of God is, is God would say to Abraham, I'm going to give you a descendant when he was 100 years old, that he'd have a child from his own loins, that he would say to Noah, I want you to build an ark and be a preacher of righteousness for 100 years and build the ark where there is no water. He would, he would say to, to Moses, let my people go. You go and tell the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, let my people go. And who will I say has sent me? And God said, tell them I am that I am, which is insane. And, and God puts him in this foolish position of, of the Red Sea in front of him, mountains on either side and an army behind him. And he prays and he asks God, what do we do? And God says, lift up your staff and the oceans part. They walk through and then the dead man float as all of Egyptian army is drowned in the Red Sea. You see Joshua with an impregnable fortress of Jericho in front of him as they entered into the promised land. God says, trust me. And he says, you're going to take Jericho. And he says, what's the battle plan? The foolishness of God, march around it for six days. On the seventh day, blow trumpets. It's foolishness. But God says, you trust me. 
I don't do it the way man does it. I'm God, he says. I, I know these things. Trust me. He would say to Naaman, dip yourself seven times in the river Jordan for the leprosy to depart. Doesn't make any sense. But God says, trust me. And that's waiting upon the Lord. It doesn't make any human sense to us. It's this idea of faith. You know what faith is? Faith is, or the foolishness of God, I should say, is divine wisdom demanding faith. Divine wisdom demanding faith. Trust me, God says. And he puts you in some difficult situations because to trust God runs roughshod over your agenda and what you think is power. Man strives for power. Man wants significance. Man wants to be known. Man wants to have his time on this earth leave a lasting legacy. And, they, and man thinks that power is something to be obtained by subjecting it over others. And God says, you want to be great, you'll be a servant. Well, there was one man who couldn't understand this concept of power, and it was power that caused his downfall. And that's the man we see today, a man who couldn't understand a God who gives, a God who serves, and a God who commands us to wait upon him. He was ready to take matters into his own hands. He, he was a zealot. He loved Israel. He'd be like an American who's America first, and we love America. American exceptionalism. This was Judas in such a way that he had an idea of what the, the future was to look like for Israel. And here was the Messiah, the one who would deliver them from the bondage of Rome. And he had, he had, he had mapped it out in his mind, and, and Jesus didn't even do it this way. And it flustered him, it frustrated him. And so much so that even as he went through the, the smell and the fragrance that was permeating the room in the previous chapter we studied last week, it made him so angry this is a man that just couldn't understand why God doesn't operate like everybody else. <laughs> kind of like the room that we're in. <laughs> we all feel the same way at times. He really baffles us, doesn't he? Maybe all of you have had a very easy walk with the Lord. He's baffled me this week, to be sure. And I'll tell you in those times where it doesn't make sense, if we wait upon him, have faith. We trust him. We be still and know that he's God. It's amazing how he puts it together. And I am mar I, I stand marveled each time I see his handiwork. And it is fascinating. And each time I wait upon him, my, my faith becomes stronger. And the God I serve becomes even that much more magnificent. Oh, but Judas never had that privilege. The dunamis power of the Lord never fell upon him. He wanted power and he never got it. We're going to take a look at this tragedy. So please stand as we read from the word of the Lord. We'll pick up in verse 14. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time forward, he sought an opportunity to betray Christ. Let me just real quick insert this. Uh, in the next chapter, chapter 27, verse 5, we find that Judas throws the pieces of silver on the floor and goes and hanged himself. He went and hanged himself. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. Verse 17, now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, this is a Passover meal, which many of you are going to be celebrating at Jerry's house. And, and so on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. This is trippy in and of itself. A miracle just walks up to a guy and says, hey, we're going to your house. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 
So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. They went and prepared the Passover and evening had come. Uh, Verse 20, and he sat down with the 12. Now as they were eating, he said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say, Lord, by the way, Lord, say curios. It it means Lord. It means you're in charge. Lord, curios, is it I? And he answered and said, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. And the son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man to whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Curios or rabbi? rabbi? Rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. You're not my Lord, but I'll hopefully learn something from you. Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took up the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many, for the remission of sins, not all, but many. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day that I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, it was probably Psalm 113 or 114. They went out to the Mount of Olives and the Passover meal had concluded. They had drank in all the cups. Jesus had, had instituted in the Passover, this whole picture. And if you've ever been to a Passover meal, every element of the Passover speaks of Christ. If you haven't been to a Passover, you need to. It is fascinating. You will step right back in time. It's the longest running family meal in the history of the world. And yet every element on the table speaks of Christ. You will step right in to Matthew 26. If you go to a Passover meal, if you've never been, you need to, it is fascinating. And so with that, let me pray. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. As we take a look at this man, Judas, and just that, that name alone, I I don't think I've ever dedicated a child or baptized an individual whose name was Judas. I've heard of a band, Judas Priest, but I've never met an individual named Judas. And so, Lord, as we examine this man's life, would you speak to us? Lord, would you establish what it is you'd have for us to learn, Holy Spirit, as you lead us into all truth? And God, may the study of your word this day forever change us for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So this is a Passover meal, and it's interesting. Jesus sends his disciples in, and if you look in the uh, account in Mark, and you look in the account in Luke, it's actually, uh, there's a guy who's going to be carrying water. Follow him. Uh, everybody's carrying water. They didn't have running water. You went to go get water. Uh, most of the women were carrying water, so it would probably be that the guy carrying water is a little, you know, stands out a little bit more, but still, men carried water. And you're walking along, and there's a guy carrying water. Well, I guess this is a guy. Let's follow him. And then, you know, you're going to go and tell him that my master is ready for the place that you prepared. Oh, okay. And that in and of itself, we could spend quite a bit of time on just the miracle of that. Just somebody saying, I'm coming to your house for the Passover and and we're going to use your upper room and it has to be big enough for my 12 disciples and we're going to have a meal and we're going to need all the Passover elements and set it up accordingly. And thank you very much. And who again is it? Never mind. Just get it done. Okay. And that's a fascinating picture in and of itself. But for the sake of time, I'm not going to cover that. If you don't think that's a miracle, then I'm coming over to your house for dinner tonight. Because apparently it's not an inconvenience to you. And I'm going to bring 11 of my closest friends, none of whom you know. Right? 
And then this Passover meal begins to occur and as the elements and the bread is being broken and you, you, we have matzah today with the, the holes in it and the stripes and, 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 and all of this. And, and as you see these things, it's, it's a picture of Christ. By his stripes we've been healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. You just look at the matzah and it, and it, and it just baffles you. You see the stripes, you see the piercings in each of them. You see the lamb shank bone and you see all these things and, and the, the, the bitter herbs and all that speaks of these covenants that I had described to you earlier. And they're having this Passover meal and all the elements are speaking of Christ. And there he is, the embodiment of Christ right in front of them. And the way it's, we're not, they're not seated in chairs. It's not a board meeting. They're, they're relaxing, they're lounging. And, and the way it's set up in this picture is not the picture that you see uh, in the painting. They're, they're, they're lounging. And, and John is, is laying down and, and Jesus is here. And he's, he's, he, when Jesus says, one of you betray me, it's literally, John just looked up and said, Lord, is it I? And, 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 and then Peter from behind in the picture and the other accounts, Peter from behind goes, who is it? And then, and then Judas says, and all of them said, Lord, is it I? And then Judas says, master, rabbi, teacher, excuse me. He said, rabbi, teacher, is it I? And he says, you've said correctly. And, 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 and Judas was here. John was here. So John's looking up and Jesus just turns over to the other side to where, where Judas is. And he says, you, you said correctly. I mean, that's just, that's a death blow right there. No one else hears. No one even knew who it was. And again, we go back to that, that picture that, you know, the amazing thing about the Lord is he treated his enemies and his friends with the same kindness and civility. We don't do that today. You know, those people, those people stop, get over your superiority. You, 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 you speak the truth in love. Yes. There's a balance there. And, and one of the things that's so dis, discouraging about media is that you, there's no audience in front of you. One of the things I love about nonpartisan politics, local, is that people can't attack you because you shop with them and you're going to see them. The further away the election is, the more caustic we become because they're no longer human beings. They're just imagery. And we can, and everything's fair game. They're children, they're spouses. We just, we just go after them. They're people. You speak the truth in love and you have this relation, the civility that you bring as a Christian into that realm. And instead of hiding behind a computer and being caustic and throwing barbs out and spears. And yet here's the Lord. No one even knew that it was Judas because the way that Jesus treated Judas was the way he treated the other 11. And here's a man who had evil intent in his heart and all these things. And this is a name that's synonymous. This is a name that's synonymous with betrayal. It's a name that's synonymous with betrayal. And, and what I read to you earlier about Matthew 27, verse 5, as you get to the next passage, this is where Judas, after he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which in today's currency is about $10,000, not a bad take for, you know, a night's work. He gets 10 grand to put a hit on him. Just, all you got to do is just tell us who he is. It's, you know, it had, had we followed the paintings of, of all the masters in previous years, we could have said, oh, Jesus, he's the one with the halo over his head with the blonde hair and the piercing blue eyes. <laughs> no, the Bible says that there was nothing in his appearance that we'd be drawn to him. He was just like every other person. You couldn't pick him out of a crowd. He's one of those people who just has a face that blends to the point where Judas had to go over and kiss him to betray him. And then the Romans go, oh, that guy. 
And as he kissed him and betrayed him, he got 30 pieces of silver, 10 grand, just to give him a kiss. And, and as he did this, they began to apprehend him. Judas takes out his sword, cuts off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. Jesus says, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. He picks the ear up, puts it back on Malchus' head, and heals it. Right there. I, and, and when his name was spoken, the Roman soldiers were pushed back. I mean, really, people? Can't you realize who you're dealing with? A mighty God we serve. The the spirit of the Lord pushed you back. His ear was healed before your very eyes. Get a grip. Do you know who you're fighting against? The God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand. Do you know what you look like to God? You are a gnat on the butt of an elephant. You will not win. And yet we have this, this desire for power. We have this desire that we somehow are in charge and things are to operate in our context in our way. And Judas's life ended up such a tragedy. I guess in the vernacular of American ideology, I guess the best thing that we can do, and it doesn't work in any other country, maybe a little bit in England, but they don't know the vernacular. But if, if I were to say the word, the, the name Benedict Arnold, we, oh, oh, okay. You know, a little story about Benedict Arnold. This is the one that took over Fort Ticonderoga. A, a, a brilliant effort on his part. He was a very faithful soldier of the Continental Army. He takes over Fort Ticonderoga. It was Henry Knox who got the weaponry from Fort Ticonderoga onto Dorchester Heights so that we would have the victory over the British in Boston. He did that. And then the most critical bat- battle, the Battle of Saratoga, when the war was really at a critical stage and we had just barely limped through 1776, here we are in, in the later seasons, October 7, 1777, the war is really grinding on and we really need some victories. And, and there in the Battle of Saratoga, it was Benedict Arnold who led the charge to have the victory and it was one of the most fascinating campaigns imaginable and he secures the victory and that victory itself is what brought the French into the war so that all of us are sitting here 241 years later enjoying this freedom that that man secured and in the process of securing it he got shot in the leg and it was such a brutal wound that he was laid up he had bed sores he was laid up for months and because of that they bypassed him and they didn't give him the promotion they gave it to another man And he was so upset about that that he couldn't get over it. And he laid in his bed stewing over this. This is not the way I planned it. And finally, when he recovered, he was so uh, affected by the wound that that he was stationed at West Point. And and, and he realized he was in the backwater of of commands and that his military career was coming to a a rapid halt. And so he, he sided with the British, sent over and was willing to give up West Point and, and betray the Americans. And he went over to the British side and he died in obscurity. And when the war ended after the battle of Yorktown, he realized it was up. He got everything up and he moved. He went to England. He was there for a, a season. And at the age of 60, he died of gout and misery and pain. And to this day, there was a, there was a civil war general who had put up a monument in Saratoga on behalf of the four generals that had secured that victory that gave us America today. And three of their names are listed and the fourth has no name listed. It says to, um, to, to the, the brigadier general and it doesn't list his name. 
In his own town, in his own state of Connecticut, it was stated the traitor, Benedict Arnold, when it does a post on behalf of what he had secured. And it, and it resonates even to this day, 2018, that he is a traitor. And you can understand somebody who gives this up and, and his life ended in such a way that America becomes the greatest nation on the face of the earth, American exceptionalism, and his name forever is in connotation with traitor. What an awful decision he made. He never had the privilege of the nation he fought for being able to enjoy all the fruits of that and being elevated as a hero of Saratoga a hero of Ticonderoga and a general in the continental forces of a greatest nation. On the face. He would be in the, in, in the rotunda, the capital. People would be coming to pay homage and tribute. He would be in West Point. He would be recognized. No, he's, he's, in, he's in the ash heap of history, forgotten because of the fact he betrayed. None, people don't tolerate betrayal. And yet all of us have been betrayed and we've all betrayed. No, I haven't, Pastor. Yes, you have. Every time we sin, we betray the God who has delivered us. And that's why Judas isn't so hard to comprehend. The thing that gets me about Judas is that when he threw the money on the floor in chapter 27 and he went and hanged himself, he threw the money on the floor of the temple and he went and hanged himself. We discover that Judas hung himself before Christ was sentenced. He went and he hanged himself and Christ hadn't even been sentenced yet. Before Pilate finished questioning Christ, Judas was dead. Before Barnabas was released, Judas was dead. Before Jesus was scourged with the whip, Judas was dead. Before the crown of thorns was pushed on the skull of Jesus, Judas was dead. He missed it all. He was hanging in the wind. He had missed it. He had walked with him for three years. He had, he had witnessed miracles. Jesus walking on water, feeding thousands. He had seen the widow. He had seen everything. He had been sent out in twos and watched miracles you know, come through him and, and the other disciple he was walking with. He saw the Lord perform these things. He witnessed things. And if you say to me this morning, I would believe if God did a miracle. I don't believe it. Judas watched every miracle imaginable. I remember speaking to an individual who, who said, if, if, I, if I could see a modern day miracle, I'd believe. I said, okay, like what? Just describe it. Like someone having an amputated arm and it growing back. I said, if I can give you evidence of that, will you right now give your heart to the Lord? I'm going I'm to get, will, will you give your heart to the Lord with that agreement? I'll show you that miracle. Will you give your heart to the Lord? They go, well, no, I, I probably wouldn't. Well, thank you for your honesty. And that, that was honest. A miracle is not going to save you. You're going to try to somehow explain it away. This isn't an issue over miracles and you submitting. This is an issue over who's going to be Lord of your life. Is he just a teacher or is he curios? Is he master? The real tragedy is that when Jesus looked down from the cross, all those who had mocked him, all those who had spit upon him, all those who had slapped him, all those who had struck him, all those who had pulled his beard out of his face, all of those that had this anger towards him, those who had nailed him to the cross, all of those, when Jesus looked down and the mob was crying out and wanted him dead, what Judas missed was Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He missed it. He was already dead. He missed it. He was dead by his own hand, might I add. You guys heard about the shooting yesterday. It was a murder-suicide. Ran after his girlfriend, killed her in the, the paper source store, and then shot himself. 
Tragic. Awful. Cowardice. And here Judas took his own life. All these things would transpire, but Judas was already dead. He didn't witness any of it. But the most important thing that Judas missed, the most important thing Judas missed was the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter three says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He's patient and long-suffering, wanting that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. The word all in the Greek means all. All. We don't like his timing. We don't like that he's not operating in accordance with what we envision power. Judas wanting Rome to be brought under submission couldn't understand a savior who would be crucified and would declare himself to be crucified. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Perish means separation from God for all eternity, hell. He doesn't want that for anybody. For us to get to hell, we have to step over the cross of Christ and say, I don't want your forgiveness. I don't want to be reconnected to you. I don't want to live by your rules. I don't, I don't care if you're God that serves and that you're our employee, yet you're our boss and you want to bless me. I don't want to live by your rules. I want to be in charge. I want to do things my way. I don't want that. God didn't even want Judas to perish. That's not what Jesus wanted. You see, it was Judas's decision to betray Jesus. And so it was Judas's decision to die unrepentant and go to hell. If you end up there, you have no one to blame but yourself. No one spoke more of hell than Jesus Christ. I wish it wasn't even, uh, I wish it wasn't even in the scripture because it would make Christianity so much easier to teach. This concept of hell. But no one spoke more of hell than Jesus because he didn't want anyone to go there. Christ. Forgiveness is not dependent on our behavior. And it doesn't even matter whether we deserve forgiveness or not. It's not dependent on that. The forgiveness that each one of us needs is dependent on one thing and one thing only. And that's the grace of God. Grace has been defined as unmerited favor, undeserved or unearned love of God. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. A payment for the penalty. He left heaven to die. To be, to be crucified, buried, and resurrected. And Judas needed undeserved love as much as or more than the rest of us. But the saddest part of the story is Judas came really close. Really close. Just, just so close. You see, there are three things that are required to experience the forgiveness of God. Three things. The first one is we have to acknowledge our sin. Sin means I'm not perfect. I've missed the mark. Here's the bullseye. Here's the arrow. Archers call it the sin distance. How far the arrow's fallen from perfection. The first thing to receive the forgiveness of God is to acknowledge. To acknowledge our sin. 
And I, I know, I know this is a reasonable room of people. There's no one in the room who would say, yes, I am perfect. There's nobody in the room that would do that. And the wage of sin is death. That's, that's the price. It's capital punishment. And whether you agree or disagree, you just don't understand the severity of what it is that we're doing when we're disobeying by cosmic trees and a God who created us to love him, and we don't. And you may, you may think it's not a fair judgment or a fair punishment, but that, the more you study it, the more you realize. The second thing you need for the forgiveness of God is a sense of remorse for your sins. I feel, I, 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 don't, I don't like this. I, I, am, I feel awful. God, I've, I've failed and it's against you and you alone that I've sinned and done this evil in your sight. I've hurt people. I've hurt my family. I've hurt my community. I've hurt myself. I've hurt generations to come. I, I, I hurt my, 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 my ancestors. I, I, Lord, I, I just feel so awful about this. Those are two things. The third is you have to accept forgiveness offered by faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He hands out his forgiveness to you. He gives you the propitiation and you receive it by faith. He gives you a gift, but it's only your gift if you take the gift and receive it by faith. Lord, I I know that I've sinned against you. I feel awful about it. And I recognize that you have died in my place and you have for me the the propitiation, the forgiveness, the the, the solvent to the wound. And I receive it unto myself by faith. That's all. That's all that's needed. That's it. So simple. Yet it seems as though it's so difficult. And Judas came so close. Matthew 27 verse 4 just before he throws the money onto the, onto the floor of the temple, he cries out, I have sinned for I have betrayed an innocent man. He did one and two. He did number one, he acknowledges sin for I have sinned and the remorse. I have betrayed an innocent man. You're doing great, Judas. Go Judas. Little engine that could. Two, of the, two thirds of the way there. You're doing great, Judas. You have sinned and you have betrayed innocent blood. Awesome, you acknowledged your sin. You know what? He's, he's head and shoulders above a lot of people on this earth. There are people even in this room, I imagine, that have a problem saying, I was, ruh, ruh, ruh. I was, ruh. I was wrong. Some people have difficulty saying, I am wrong. I am sorry. That's just baffling to me. That just makes life so much easier for me when I can say to the people I've offended, I'm so sorry. Not giggling. I'm so sorry. I really am. I, I, I am at fault here. I'm, I'm so sorry. You know what that does? People think that that, that that diminishes your value or weakens you. Are you kidding me? You've never applied it. You don't know it. That makes you strong. I, I adore people that acknowledge when they failed. You know what I really struggle with? It's people that make excuses how it's somebody else's fault. I manage people as, as a pastor of the church. And, and I, I'm, I'm really merciful when, when you, you know what? I, I just didn't get it done. I'm sorry. Okay. But when you give me excuses or you blame somebody else on staff or one of the congregants or, you know, you come up, I just, I'll follow that string until I just, 
you know what, that sweater unraveled. Uh, it's not them, it's you. Oh, okay. And then you know what that is? That's the sin of Achan. You, you're, only, you're only acknowledging it because you can't blame anyone else because it's been totally exposed. That's not repentance. That's not acknowledgement. That's called getting caught. And here, he acknowledged it. He just clearly acknowledged it. I just, I find that fascinating. Judas acknowledged his sin. He was remorseful for it. But he still couldn't bring himself to the place to ask for forgiveness. I mean, you've already, you've already done the heavy lifting. I was wrong. I feel awful about it. Will you forgive me? That's a little humbling because you have to acknowledge that the person that you've sinned against is in the position of power to forgive you. And it's usually somebody you don't like. And you are, you're, you're wrong. And you know you're wrong. And I, I, I'm wrong. And, and I'm sorry. We've, 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 will you forgive me? I'll tell you what. He couldn't bring himself to ask for forgiveness. It was just one of those things that, that Judas just couldn't do. He couldn't bring himself to ask for forgiveness. And two out of three is all right, except for when it comes to eternity. It's one thing to get it wrong with me or me to get it wrong with you, but don't get it wrong with God. Two out of three doesn't cut it. You got to get it right. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All means all. So we've got to get all three resolved to be reconnected. You can be remorseful. You can feel really bad about your sin. But if you can't bring yourself to seek forgiveness and ask for it, that puts you in a really awful spot in life, especially in regards to eternity. You see, three days after Jesus was dead, or excuse me, three days after Jesus and Judas died, three days after Jesus and Judas died, Jesus rose from the grave and Judas was still eternally dead. It's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. Do you want to be judged with Christ's forgiveness as you stand before the Father or you want to be judged on what you think makes you a good person in front of a sinless God? That's a really, I don't know, I think that's stupid. When Christ appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, he made a statement that would never apply to Judas. He appears to the disciples after his resurrection. He makes a statement that would never apply to Judas. John 20, verse 19, in the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly Jesus was standing among them and he said, peace be with you, shalom. Judas never heard that. You see, the second thing that Judas missed was peace. Boy, that word feels good, peace. I'd like to see more of it. Every time a waiter or waitress comes up to my table, is there anything else I can get you? I say, world peace. (laughs) And without exception, they go, wouldn't that be nice? 
I go, yeah, I would. Peace seems to be something that eludes us. But Jesus says, peace I give unto thee, not as the world gives peace, give I unto thee. He'll give us a peace that surpasses all understanding, guarding our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. This, this peace eluded Judas. He never got it. He never found salvation. He never found peace. He lived without it, and he died without it. It was John 14, 27. I am leaving you with a gift. Peace I give unto thee, Jesus said. Judas heard that, and he never got it. When, when Judas went to go kiss Jesus' cheek, were those words echoing in his mind? What did Judas think peace was? The absence of conflict? Rome out of Israel? Salvation is coming on Air Force One. Peace will come in our lifetime. North Korea will disarm and everything will be great. Really? And you're still arguing in your home? Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of Christ in the midst of the conflict. This is a world at war with itself. We're selfish. The makers and the takers are at war. And and it's always going to be this way. And God wants to give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. He wants to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Peace isn't the Middle East. Peace isn't Israel and Egypt getting along or the 1040 window. As wonderful as that is and and, and how wonderful it would be, that is not peace. It still resides with us in our relationship with the Lord and with each other. Peace is not the absence of conflict as the world thinks peace to be. It's interesting that the Greek word for peace here in John 14 and also in Philippians 4 is irene. It means to set again. You break the bone, and you got to set it again. You got to pull that arm out and set that bone. It deals with broken relationships. You know what's amazing about getting through your first five years of marriage? You know, you have, you have a husband, you have the wife, and I always say, I tell couples, it's like a manual transmission. You've got two gears working at different speeds, and then they've got to get in sync. And if you don't use the clutch, they just grind. Put the clutch in, let the guy just balance. And you need that flywheel and the manual transmission to put them in sync. And And that flywheel's Jesus. Otherwise, without Jesus, you just grind. I mean, men and women, my wife, if I didn't, have, if I didn't know the Lord, I'd be like, who, where did she come from? Why does she use so many words? Minutia, why? And why is everything connected to an emotion? And it causes you to go off on rabbit trails and, and you, you take joy in a, a, a ridiculously ugly painting that our three-year-old made. And you think it's Michelangelo. It's awful. Something better happen with this child or we're getting, I'm not feeding that child. And yet she finds this joy. Look, you made a sun and you did this ocean over here. How do you know that's an ocean? It's not even green. They used orange. Who is this? Who is this creature? And she's looking at me going, you're so insensitive. Who is this creature that has, it's like a cyborg. Just nothing moves him. He doesn't even talk. He just grunts. 
Nice haircut. Mm. Men can communicate like that. Nice haircut. Mm. Volumes have been transmitted in that grunting. Men know. And yet, these relationships and the way that the Lord wants to heal these relationships, it's amazing. It's five years of marriage when my wife would, and I would grind. I mean, the first year of marriage, we had to go to counseling because I, I personally think she just didn't understand life. There was something seriously wrong with her <laughs> until I sat down with a pastor and I realized there was something seriously wrong with me. And I didn't agree with his findings until I was driving home and the Lord was hammering me going, he's right. I'm going, and the Lord understood what I was saying. And the repentance was such that, you know, honey, would you, would you, would you forgive me? And it healed. And you know, what's amazing is we're 28 years into this. And, and our relationship where it was broken is stronger than it's ever been because it's been mended with the simple word, I was wrong. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And the bone heals. And that is that relationship so strong now. And you go, you're gonna go through trials. Your heart's gonna be broken. And if you say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I was wrong. It's just the bone is stronger where it was broken. When it's mended, the relationship is mended. That word forgiveness deals primarily with broken relationships to set again. And his relationship with the Lord was broken and he never resolved it. He couldn't go and say, I betrayed you. And I'm so sorry. And I've been been living with it all night and I'm here to kiss you and tell them and I don't want to do this. And the power that you showed when your name was spoken and the soldiers pushed back, would you use it now? I have an idea of what I think power is and, 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 and how to vanquish Rome, but I submit to you and you do it in your timing. I trust you. I don't want to kiss you. I don't want to betray you. I, I want you to forgive me. He would do it. There's forgiveness to the very last breath you exhale and the first, first breath you breathe in eternity. God is waiting for you. He's patient and long-suffering. When we're granted forgiveness through the grace of God, then our relationship with God is restored. Boy, that's, that's so freeing to know that we're right with God and with man. We don't have to live with guilt. We're brought to a place where we belong. We don't live in the secrecy of our mind. We're the only one in the world who knows who we really are is us. We don't have intimacy. The Bible says that the man and woman were naked and unashamed. Not talking about clothing. Talking about their soul. The deepest part of their being. There's no secrets. You know me and you still love me. Oh, I do. Oh, I do. Judas missed that restoration. Judas didn't damn himself at the point of betraying Christ because he was still alive. He could have betrayed him and still asked for forgiveness. But he damned himself when he refused to set the relationship straight and to set it right. Had Judas sought the forgiveness only Christ could give, then he would have experienced the peace that only Christ can provide. 
Judas wanted political power. He couldn't get it. He couldn't understand why the Lord wouldn't operate according to his context. And that's why the third thing, and this is what I'll close with, the third thing that Judas never got was power. He missed it. If you asked Judas what was the one thing that he craved, his answer would have been power. Most commentators say that. Judas would agree. Power to make a difference. Power to affect change. Power to get things done. We get so wrapped up in that. We think we're the answer to the world's ills and our ideology will... And the Lord wants us to submit to him. Submit our lives personally, our families, to walk in that. That's revival. Recognizing his authority. And yet the pathetic demise would bring to mind a lot of images, but power wouldn't be one of them because 40 days after Judas died, 40 days after Judas died, Jesus made this promise to the remaining 11 disciples in Acts 1.8. He says, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive dunamis. You'll receive power and will tell people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the world. Within 10 days, that promise would be fulfilled. That power would fall at Pentecost. And Judas missed the one thing that he longed in life and that was power and it bypassed him. He missed forgiveness, he missed peace, and he missed power. All because he couldn't say, I was wrong, and I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? And every one of us in this room longs for those three things, and they're available to you right now. But if you, if you got your agenda and God's not part of it, you'll be hanging from a tree with nothing to show for your life and a family that can never use your name again because it's synonymous with betrayal. And you've lived your life your way which is tragic. Or today, in this place, a God who's patient and long-suffering, wanting that none of you would perish, but that all, would you, all of you would be saved, he gives you forgiveness if you ask for it and receive it. And with that forgiveness, he'll give you peace. Peace with God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, even in the midst of the conflict. And he will give you power. Not power to subdue, but power to serve. And the Bible says it's real simple. Believe in your heart. Confess with your tongue. Jesus is Lord. Be remorseful and realize it awaits you and receive it. And he casts your sins as far as east is from the west to be remembered no more. You're forgiven. Your heart is set right. His peace comes upon you and his power comes upon you. And you are a new creature in Christ. And the old passes and the new comes. And it's all yours. Don't be a Judas. Embrace Jesus. Amen. Amen.